Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Hadit podcast. This is Jay Basher, pinch it for Gerald. Gerald's kind of under the weather. But, uh, the show must go on, so... Uh, this is what we got. Uh tonight we've got a special guest, Mr. John Dorley out of Minnesota. John's been a frequent guest on the show and uh but you know, he's one of our he's one of the finer guests because, you know, John's a claims agent and uh these guys do a lot of stuff about the VA. How you doing, John? Good, good. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure to uh to be on the show and try to share my uh, information expertise with the uh, listeners out there. Um, anyone wants to call in, feel free. I think uh, you have that phone number, don't you, John? Yeah, the phone number is uh, 347-237-4819. Select option one. Again, that's 347-237-4819. Uh, we'll be happy to have you call in. Uh, you know, you can ask John any question you want, as long as it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> well, either yeah. way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we look forward to hearing from you. So, John, how you been yeah, doing? I, uh, you been busy? Good. Yeah, yeah, uh, you've been very busy. I, I think certainly when you're talking about uh, veterans' disability claims, when we're talking about uh, original claims and, and Board of Veterans' Appeals, uh, these things do tend to drag out. So, uh, I stay very busy networking with my clients and writing legal briefs and appearing at hearings and doing whatever whatever it takes really to maximize my clients' disability compensation claims. So yeah, it's a, it's a great job. I work from home now, uh, so uh, uh, I enjoy what I do. How's it like starting out being an agent? Is it uh, is it kind of rough? Because I know you know you you're relying on. Uh, veterans getting their claims won and getting paid. And there's got to be a little bit of a window there. And that's kind of the person needs to pay some money to say that when they get started in this business, don't they? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it can be an interesting start. I think certainly when you decide you want to be an independent accredited claims agent, which is what I am, uh, you initially apply it to the Office of General Counsel in Washington, D.C., and they have to do a background check on you and make sure you're all up and up. And, and once you pass that background check, which is pretty thorough, uh, they invite you to take a written examination at the local VA regional office. And, and uh, you go do that. And if you pass the test, uh, some time passes. And, and once your uh, packet comes to review at the Office of General Counsel, uh, they approve you as an accredited claims agent. And at that point in time, you're authorized to represent uh, claimants uh, who have claims pending with the VA, uh, whether they're appeals or non-appeals. I think certainly that getting started can be a little rough. Uh, uh, You essentially operate on a contingency basis. Uh, Any veteran Mm -hmm. who has an appeal pending with the Department of Veterans Affairs, you take over on you enter into a contingency basis with the claimant 
in effect, uh, if, if, if I win the appeal for the veteran and they receive a retroactive award, the uh, VA affords 20% of that retroactive award for me. So um, it can take a while to get started as, as, as veterans and claimants know, appeals do take a long time to adjudicate, but uh, once you get rolling and get a number of clients, uh, from a purely business perspective, it, it, it takes off like wildfire, and that's exactly where I'm at now. Uh, but uh, I guess I would encourage any any veterans or or individuals out there that have a, a good knowledge of the Veterans Administration, they want to do this. Uh, that would be the first step. Just uh, check in with the Office of General Counsel website, and, and they'll walk you through it. Obviously, it's 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 always important that you have a pretty good background on on representing veterans against the VA, whether you're a, a government paid veteran service officer or, or uh, uh, just someone that happens to be in the know and, and makes it their hobby to, to follow VA claims. Uh, I'll tell you one yeah. thing though, there isn't a lot of us out there. I think that uh, purely speaking on accredited claims agents, last time I looked, there's about 250, 300 of us throughout the country. Uh, I'm the only yeah. one in Minnesota that, that practices full time. There's two others in Minnesota that uh, are accredited. One is uh, retiring soon, and the other one is he doesn't really do anything. He just is accredited to be accredited. So there's a demand out there, that's for sure. That's good because, I mean, the veterans need all the help they can get. I mean, you know, you look at what options they do have. You know, if you want to go through the DSOs and things like that, more power to the veteran. But, uh, you know, it's just you got to have a – an agent that's willing to go the extra mile for you, and uh, that's the biggest issue. And you got to have a vested interest in your claim. So that's, uh, that's minutes, something uh, you need to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and there are free. There is free service out there, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Veterans out there are entitled to to knock on the door of their national service officers. Uh, for example, the DAV, the American Legion, the VFW. They're the big three. There's also state veteran mm-hmm. service officers and county veteran service officers. That is free service, yep. folks. Um, but yep. the majority of my clients that come to me, uh, they come to me because of word of mouth of other veterans I've helped. And uh, other veterans come to me because they, right or wrong, they just don't feel like they're getting the service they, they want from quote-unquote yep. free service. And so that's not a, that's not an aspersion on on the free service out there. I I worked with those individuals for many years, and they're there's some darn good, sharp national service officers, mm-hmm. state veteran service officers out there. Uh, and I've said this before on the on the show. I I think what happens is oftentimes they're over over they're just inundated with uh, uh, clients, and and uh, it's hard for them to keep up. And and I'm not making excuses for them, and, and certainly they may have a different perspective on it, but. From my perspective and in, in, in working with national service officers and county service officers and state service officers for, for 20 plus years, that seems to be the, the ongoing theme is, is is they're just trying to squeeze too much into one day's work. So it, it's difficult for them. So I, I guess my from my perspective, I work 55, 60 hours a week. I, I don't mind doing that. I'm a workaholic. Uh, and there's a lot of attorneys and appeals agents out there that, that work hard and, and, uh, uh, for the most part, uh, they do a good job. So it's certainly up to the veteran on, on whether they want to, uh, uh, 
uh, on a contingency basis afford a portion of their retroactive award to have someone like me uh, take over or an attorney or another accredited mm-hmm. appeals agent. Uh, but for, for the majority of my clients, if not all of them, they all feel like it's worth it. It's worked out well. You've got an advantage too, John. I mean, against the difference in attorneys, you know, you don't have overhead like they do. You don't have an office. You don't have to pay a staff. You know, and it's uh, you know that makes it a lot easier for you to do your job. And uh, are, uh, you know, you can do it out of your home and do it anywhere. You know, and and I think that for the most part, certainly, uh, your 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 attorneys out there, some of them have very very large offices that handle VA claims. Uh, and then you know, you've also got accredited appeals agents like myself that have a staff that that they they uh, uh, they have to uh, employ and, and provide health insurance and, and provide benefits and things of that mm-hmm. sort. Um, I I prefer to be a, a one man shop. I I I don't have employees. I don't have a staff. I've got all the uh, uh, IT equipment that I need, and it, it works fine. So. Um, I'm, I'm my own boss, and so I don't answer to anyone other than the uh, clients that I serve and the Office of General Counsel, and, and I enjoy that. Yeah, that's what you need to be. That's good. And good for you. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's, you know, because, I mean, there's been several veterans on com itself that you've helped, and, you know, a lot of veterans I know you've helped. And, uh, you know, you're fairly successful in what you do. And, uh, you know, we appreciate what you do. There's a, you know, there's a, you can reach up, pat yourself on the back. Because, I mean, if you have the knowledge and you have the ability to present that knowledge to the, as far as, say, the veteran's disability, how, you know, how, how the regulations rate that disability and convince the VA that, you know, that it's a service-connected issue, then the veteran wins his claim. But, uh, you know, it's a now... I was like, what levels do you do you practice? Uh, do, you, do you basically you, you just basically work with the I guess the appeal section like the DROs and the BVA, or do you go on over the court? What's what's your what's your area? Uh, primarily, uh, the VA regional offices throughout the country in Puerto Rico uh, mm-hmm. are the regional offices that I deal with. So, so I, I probably worked with almost every one of them on an appeals status. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it gets to the point where the Board of Veterans Appeals gets involved, I'm fully accredited to to argue those cases at the Board of Veterans Appeals and represent my mm-hmm. clients at either a BVA hearing or a local VA regional office hearing. Uh, I have not needed to, nor do I do I feel I'm, I don't, uh, as far as the Court of Veterans Appeals, it's my understanding, and I haven't looked at this really closely, but it's my understanding when it goes to the Court of Veterans Appeals, which is the step above the Board of Veterans' Appeals, my understanding is the regulation says that you have to be an attorney. And so I am not an attorney. And so I, my, my, my goal really is to win these claims before it even gets to the Court of Veterans' Appeals. But in, in those circumstances where a Board of Veterans' Appeals claim comes out unfavorable, um, I have attorneys that I know, that I trust, that are very knowledgeable, that I refer them to. One is the National Veterans Legal Services Program. Um, it's a consortium of attorneys. It's that, a very that, good program. Excellent program. They're, they're the cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the Court of Veterans Appeals. Um, so that, that's Carver usually still, my go-to. Is King Carver I, still affiliated with that group, or is he gone somewhere else now? Who? King Carpenter. I heard the name. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't, uh, other than the name and, and uh, their reputation, I don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, but uh, Usually, um, yeah, earlier than I had an embassy, when I had it was a lot younger, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, he was really big in MBLSP. And he did a really good mm-hmm. job. I don't know if he's it'd been, you know, I haven't heard a lot about him in the last several years. I don't know if he's still around or not, but there's a lot of good attorneys in that group, you know. I mean, and they care about veterans, so I'm glad they do. So, right. You know, that's, a, that's always a good avenue. But I, I like you. I, I agree with you. If you can keep the claim in a regional office and, you know, keep it there, you got a better chance of winning, you know, unless you We've just got a number in a of... office. Uh, yeah. Good job. Well, we... I've got a number of cases where the regional office is just biting at the at the bit to send it off to the Board of Veterans Appeals, and it's unfortunate because a lot of times there's things that the regional office can do to develop the claim further before it actually gets to the Board of Veterans Appeals. And unfortunately, with the, the BVA, they're about three to four years out on decisions. And so uh, that's just another three to four years that the veteran's waiting when in actuality these issues can be solved at the local regional office. I've been successful in, in in keeping them out of the BVA's hand and winning them at the regional office, even to the point where uh, you can request a formal personal hearing at the local VA regional office before it gets to the Board of Veterans Appeals. So there's a lot of avenues you can pursue to try to win the claim at the regional office before it gets to the Board of Veterans Appeals. Unfortunately, there are some cases where you just hit your head bloody against the wall at the regional office. You just know that you're not going to get anything out of them. So oftentimes it, it is better just to let it go to the Board of Veterans Appeals and in hopes you get a much fairer shake. But I guess what I've found with the regional offices I've worked with, uh, I know enough people at these regional offices that, that allows me to uh, uh, talk to them directly. More cases than not, they'll open the file and, and, and we'll discuss the case right over the phone and I can usually get them to look at it. There's no guarantee that it's going to be turned around, but if, if if I can do anything to keep it from the Board of Veterans Appeals, I will. And that's not that's not an aspersion on the Board of Veterans Appeals. I find them to be very, very fair in their decisions overall. overall. They're just so far booked out that uh, it, it's unreal. Unless you've got some mitigating circumstances, like a World War II veteran's got a lot of age on, then they'll hear it pretty quick. You that's know, true, so and one good thing. yeah. One thing about the Board of Veterans Appeals, which is nice, is that uh, they do look at the age of the veterans or the claimants. Could be widow as well, or widower. Uh, if you're 75 years of age or older, they uh, expedite the case. They'll advance it on the docket, is what they call it. Um, and of course, a financial yeah. hardship or, or a terminal illness will always advance it on the docket as well. But if you're in the group of the 98% of all the other veterans that don't fall in those groups, you're, you're, you're waiting a real long time. I don't like being that 2%, man. That's, you know, 2% of some things you don't want to be in. You know what I mean? <laughs> there you go. You might get your case advanced, but you're you're in rough shape. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? <laughs> it is. No, I... Uh, I, I'm interested in seeing how this, uh, as many of the listeners might have heard and people who might listen to this uh, podcast later, uh, President Donald Trump had signed into legislation, I believe it was August of this year, uh, completely overhauling or implementing the plan to overhaul uh, the appeals process with the uh, via regional offices and the Board of Veterans Appeals. It, 
it, it, I don't know all the specifics yet, and they're out there, the specifics, but I know that things change so often. I just choose to wait for the actual law to come up before I start implementing things. But what it's designed to do is, is allow the appellant uh, different uh, uh, options when it comes to appealing claims. There's three different avenues one can pursue. Um, and so uh, that has been signed into law. I expect the Veterans Administration to implement that here in the near future, uh, probably uh, early 2018. Uh, I think that once it gets going and running perfectly, we're probably looking in 2019, to be honest with you. I know it sounds like a negative Nelly, but my experience with these overhaul processes, there's a lot of, a lot of bugs to kick out. So um, I think it's a Fort Hazard's real full effect is going to be uh, appeals filed in, in late 2018, early 2019, probably. Uh, some might disagree with me on that, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think when this, once this uh, overhaul of the appeals process gets going, it's, uh, I'm encouraged by it. I, th- I think it's going to help quite a bit. Hopefully it knocks down this backlog that's going on now. Is that the one that uh, they've got a stipulation for, like, so there's two or three different levels of appeals, like one you can – Submit all your information up front, and then they can't submit nothing else. And then there's, you know, that 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 deal they're talking about. Yeah, it is, and I think that's one of the tracks yeah. where you say, "I have nothing more to submit. I will not be submitting any anything more, rated based on the evidence of record." Or you can go the old route and yeah. say, um, uh, "Allow me my due process. I'm still working on new material evidence. I will send it within a certain time period." And then there's the old route that they implement that. That's currently set up. That that's still going to be an option for the veteran. So, I think each veteran is going to be different. Yeah, have they done anything to address the remand issue? That's that's a big Achilles heel within the BVA. You know, they'll sit back and they'll look at a claim and they'll realize that the regional office made a mistake, which you know happens. You know, a lot more than we think it does. You know, mistake do, and they kick it back and give them a fixed mistake, and that adds more time. And the regional office is going to stretch out as long as it can. You know, that's what they do. I'd like to be able to see them overturn some of these and go ahead and make awards instead of just remanding back to the regional office. I think uh, one of the efforts of this new overhaul process will be a trickle down effect, and and if it operates the way they want it to, that will eliminate a lot of the remands. It won't even get to the point where the BVA. Uh, has to look at it. Sometimes the BVA won't even need to look at it. The VA regional office will be able to adjudicate it right there. Therefore, there wouldn't be a remand involved. Uh, and it's going to make cases uh, that are that are much more probative that go to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, which hopefully would eliminate the remands. And, and really, folks, that people that are listening out there right now, a remand is essentially the BVA telling the local regional office, you didn't do your job. And so uh, the BVA really can't be held in any form of fault, I don't think, for remands because uh, they're just doing, they're just they're just going by what they're supposed to be doing and critiquing the uh, local VA regional office to determine if everything was followed, was due process followed, uh, was was all were all the medical records that they said they were going to get were they all received, uh, were were the arguments that the uh, claimant presented were they adequately addressed all kinds of different things of why cases are remanded. So, yeah, I hear you, John. I think that remands certainly are are something that we'd like to get away from because uh, it just adds many, many more months to the claim. But uh, uh, this new appeals process that they're hoping to implement hopefully will trickle down and eliminate uh, 
remands that uh, we're seeing. Well, we'll look at this new deal and implement here next year, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at it with a with an extreme amount of optimistic caution. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested too. As an advocate, mm-hmm. as an appeals rep, I, I, uh, I, I I'd be interested to see what the final product is too, and and I'm always going to try to develop the claim uh, for my client in in a most expedient and expeditious manner as possible. Uh, but uh, um, speed is not always the best thing, too. It's, it's, it, it, we want to make sure the VA does it right and crosses the T's and dots the I's. And, and if that means going a specific route that may add a, a number of months more to the claim, we might have to do that uh, simply to make sure that the claim is rated uh, appropriately. But, um, you know, if we can get it done appropriately and, and speedy, that, that's the goal as well. I know these these clients are looking to get compensated as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people come to, you know, I mean, I've had folks come to me, you know, and they've been, uh, you know, they're in really dire straits. I mean, they're getting ready to get kicked out of their house and got bills due. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, it kind of, you know, it, it, it hurts, you know, you can tell they're hurting real bad and, you know, you try to give them a little more much advice as you can give them. But, you know, it's, I mean, you have to explain to them this is a time-dealing process. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You right. Know, and it's just, you know, that's just dealing with the VA regardless, you know. And any, anything, you know, the VA, not, not including the VA, anything, any government retirement system, anything like that, you know, even like your first disability, you know, that can take up to two years to process. So the, the whole the whole system is slow. So it's not just when VA, I, um, you know, it's a government-wide systemic entity. When I when a client retains me, um, and when I deal mm-hmm. with their particular VA regional offices, uh, I, I'm pretty successful in getting the attention of of the particular uh, assistant directors and directors and veteran service senator managers. Uh, if a veteran has a legitimate financial hardship, uh, some regional offices tend to look a lot more strict towards financial hardships. They they almost want to know if the veteran's actually been evicted. Uh, but in, in all cases, there there usually has to be some sort of threat of eviction, uh, homelessness, something to that effect before they'll actually consider it a financial hardship. So um, if, if there are any veterans out there that are facing homelessness and they have claims that are pending on appeal, uh, you can have your, your case expedited or, or advanced on the docket if it's at the Board of Veterans Appeals. And for the most part, they're going to speed it through, and, and it does help if you have an advocate on your part, whether it's, a, a like I said, a national service officer or someone like myself or or, or an attorney. So um, there is that option. You have that financial hardship. You can back it up. We can get those claims through pretty quick. Yeah, that's something to remember, folks. That's One thing, John, I like to uh, – one thing I like to talk about a little bit, John, is, is uh, uh, you'd be surprised how many veterans that I come across that they hear that, well, you, you can't start a claim or you can't do anything until you have your VA claims file. Uh, my experience has been that the majority of the time <laughs> a veteran is going to have enough information. Usually veterans don't throw documents away. Uh, sometimes they do, but usually they have enough information for me to get started. I can't speak for other advocates, but for me, I have enough information to get started. 
uh, I don't I don't want to wait a year uh, for the records management center to send the veteran the VA claims files, which is which is what they're what they're out of, about right now at the records management center in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, plus, if I'm retained by the veteran or I secure an actual power of attorney, uh, I have access to VBMS, which is Veterans Benefits Management System, online. Um, everything's on there, including service medical records, past VA decisions, everything that would be in a VA claims file is on there, VA medical center records, the whole thing. So um, that's another thing that when when veterans are, are looking at interviewing uh, attorneys, agents such as myself, national service officers, you always want to make sure they have access to VBMS. That's, again, that's Victor Bravo, Mike Sierra, Veterans Benefits Management System. It's it's an online tool right into the VA government, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs that has the VA claims file. And that's part of the keys to the trip they give you when you when when you get your accreditation in. Yeah, it's uh, you know w- once you get accredited, once you get the ball rolling, uh, you do have to uh, uh, apply to the particular VA regional office that you uh, are associated with. In my case, uh-huh. it's uh, Fort, Fort Snelling, St. Paul VA regional office. And uh, uh-huh. uh, they have some excellent workers there, workers that I've worked with for 25 years. Um, and so the, the process was quite smooth in, in getting accredited with the uh, VA regional office uh, to access BBMS. So, um, it's it's okay. worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, since you're, I guess you're your base is you're working nationwide anyways. I guess you don't have to get into one regional office, right? You don't have to do all of them. That would be kind of counterproductive. Yeah. I guess you get into one that opens the door. Okay, that's what. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what what I have found is there's a lot of attorneys and agents out there that don't have BBMS. Uh, for the most part. Your, your government workers, your national service officers, your county service officers. Uh, I know in Minnesota they recently got VBMS uh, acquired on a county veteran service officer level, which I never had when I was there. Uh, but uh, are, they, uh, are they accredited now? Yeah, yeah. When I was a county veteran, we were all accredited. Um, I was accredited through National Association of County Veteran Service Officers the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Legion, the DAV, all of them. So I was accredited. Uh, we just didn't have that option of having VBMS at the time they do now. So that that's definitely a plus. So uh, if, if you do decide yeah. to get help from national service officers, they will have VBMS. It's just a matter of, of uh, how they want to serve the client, I suppose. For my part, if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm appointed as their power of attorney, um, I get the form signed, send it into the VA regional office, about a two-week turnaround. I have access to their entire VA claims file. You don't have to wait for that VA yeah. claims file from the records management center. You don't have to wait that year. I get it within a couple of weeks. So you can actually look at it at the veteran and what they're doing to it just about the same time. Instead of them having to get on the 800 number and talk to Peggy and, and yep. you know, get to run around, that's, that's that's a benefit right there, people. I mean, you know, and, you know, the accreditation is a big thing because, I mean, I know even the, you know, the big organizations, only the National Service Officers are accredited. You know, these little guys here, you know, and the, that work at the post and stuff, you know, or 
you know, they're not accredited, but they, you know, they try to help you do your claim. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, I think they should have a little better training in what they do. But, you know, it's good yeah. to have that accreditation. That's, you know, that's worth its weight in gold. It's, uh, you know, it really is. I think any time you've got a power of attorney, whether it's a, an accredited one uh, or someone that's just uh, uh, someone who's qualified to be a power of attorney, but, but doesn't have all the tools that, that I would have or, or other service officers would have, uh, you just want to make sure that you, you select the right ones. Uh, so there's a yeah. lot that goes into it. Um, a lot of knowledge to know. Uh, a lot of laws are changing. The regulations are changing all the time. I try to keep up on them as best I can. Um, so, uh, and, and a lot of times, John, you, you just learn as you go, too. I can honestly say I've yeah. never cost any veteran uh, any compensation. Uh, I've never cost any veteran any time delays. But but uh, it, it, as long as you're keeping up on the new regs, laws, rules, yeah. CFR, M21 manual, uh, usually going to hit it out of the park more often than not. Yeah. Do you buy the do you do do you buy the uh, the manual every year? You know, what I do is I keep on top of that manual every year so you can get it online. Uh, so so yeah. that's essentially what I do. I keep it online. I subscribe to that. Uh, um, and, and, and there's a very simple process, keyword process on some of these websites. So the manual can get very legalistic and, and hard to follow uh, for, mm-hmm. for most service officers. Uh, for myself, I've, I've read it so many times and looked at it so many times, it comes second nature to me. But, yeah, it, it is important that uh, as as an advocate that you do keep up on the 38 CFR and, and the M21 manual just because the laws and rules change so often. The last thing you want to do is pursue a claim for a veteran and be totally off base, especially if you get in front of a, a law judge, a Board of Veterans Appeals law judge or an experienced decision re- review officer. Uh, they'll correct you right on the spot, and it, it will not make you look good in front of the client. So um, that that's something you just want to be careful about as well. Well, that's good you don't mind, too, because I guess all the changes and things like that are actually taken care of, you know, in, in the computer system itself. It would be kind of hard to have an actual working copy of it and try to go through and pull that change pages and put changes in. It's, you know, that's... That's what happens in a level yeah. one document like that, like that, you know. So that makes it a lot easier on you. And it gets terribly complicated. It can get terribly complicated. You've got uh, claims that range anywhere from a brand new claim uh, for a veteran who only wants to file one disability claim, maybe for hearing loss or tinnitus, uh, and it ranges anywhere mm-hmm. from that all the way up to the very top, where you've got very complicated, detailed claims that that involve special monthly compensation and and mm-hmm. uh, effective dates and and all the rules and regulations that go along with that. So it can get pretty complicated, and, and that's really what makes it fun is is rolling up the sleeves and getting into some of these claims. And and there's there's nothing like experience, just doing it, doing it, and doing it every day. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff comes second hat. Uh, but uh, where I really like to get involved is, is some of these claims uh, when you're dealing with special monthly compensation, which is one of the most misunderstood benefits 
that I think is out there. It gets terribly complicated. And for those listeners, special monthly compensation is typically compensation that's paid for veterans who have already attained that 100% disability compensation level. And and uh, for whatever reason, they're having loss or loss of use of their arms, their legs, their bladder, their bowel, their vision, uh, those types of things. It also involves being homebound or in need of aid and attendance. So uh, those mm-hmm. are the guys who really, really want to help. And oftentimes that will, that, that will involve neurological diseases like MS or ALS or Parkinson's and mm-hmm. stuff like that where it, mm-hmm. it takes you fairly quick. Yeah, strokes and spinal cord injury and things like that. It can be, you know, if you read the regs in one fourteen, it's a, you know, it's it's very interesting read, you know, because you have to match, mix and match everything together to see what level S and C is. That you know, if they're going to pay you, and even though an S and C is really not a claim, it's an ancillary benefit because the VA are supposed to, you know, they're supposed to look at this and and designate what the veterans, you know, is qualified for, you know, but they treat everything as a claim. That that makes it hard on the veteran. I think a lot of VA officials, a lot of VA officials, John, they do their best, and, and uh, um, it, it's rare that I found a VA official that actually knows SMC special monthly compensation at the back of their hand. Uh, they just don't work with it enough. And, and but I John, have we got, some VA we got a call. We, we got a caller. Yay! Caller code two five four. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Go ahead, Carl. Good. Go ahead, how are you doing? I had to take you off speaker because I was just listening to the rest of it. My name is James, and I'm trying to work for my father, uh, help him with the VA claim, and I'm not really sure how to get this started. Um, I was looking under uh, chronic conditions, and anemia was on it, but you had to be, had to show it within the first year of coming back from Vietnam. And that was hard for my father to do. He, he, they noticed it back in '79. He came back in '76 um, mm-hmm. or '77. But he's had a lot of problems throughout the years, and he's a uh, 50% on PTSD. And they denied his tinnitus and his he- bilateral hearing loss and everything else that he submitted for. That was the only thing they gave him, I think, because of his Purple Heart. But now his anemia went to refractory anemia, and now he just started treatment um, for MDS, uh, mm-hmm. and they're starting to give him um, Eppleton shots in his stomach to, for the next 10 weeks to see if that will help. And my question is, how do I show, or is there a way to show that this is related to the Agent Orange, or he... He was around it a lot, and a couple members of his unit died from it. But mm-hmm. how do I go about working this to help him in the best way I can? You want me to take that, John? Yeah, you go ahead, John. Okay. So so from, from what I can tell, uh, the topic of interest is service-connecting anemia. And without cracking open the regulations, if, if I remember right, uh, anemia, as long as there's symptomology within one year of discharging from active duty, regardless of whether it's Vietnam or not, as long as you discharge within one year of active duty uh, and you can show some sort of sign or symptomology of anemia within that year, you should get service connected. Now, the caller indicated that uh, it sounds like he was 
his father was formally diagnosed with anemia about three years after active duty. Well, I always tell veterans this. Uh, you didn't all of a sudden wake up one day with anemia. So if he was diagnosed three years after active duty, not quite within that one-year presumptive, there had to have been some signs or symptomology prior to that three years. question is whether there's any, there was any medical signs or symptomology within that year after getting off of active duty. So typically what I try to tell claimants is that, uh, do you have any medical records uh, that would uh, that a doctor would be able to review, preferably a specialist that, that operates in that field that would be able to review the medical records and say, yeah, uh, he likely had signs of the anemia within a year after getting off of active duty. He just wasn't uh, diagnosed until three years later. So oftentimes that could be the case. So I, I guess the first thing I do is encourage you, sir, to to make 100% sure you've got all the medical records together, you have a specialist look at it, and determine did he as likely as not have signs or symptoms of anemia within one year after getting off of active duty. Now, let's say for argument purposes he did not, and a caller raised the Agent Orange issue. Now, now currently, uh, there are only specific disabilities that are presumptive to exposure to Agent Orange, and you can find those anywhere on the Internet. Uh, some of the more popular, there's many cancers, and there's prostate cancer and lung cancer, and uh, Parkinson's was recently added. And so, I mean, there's a number of them. Uh, anemia is not on that list, as I understand it. Pretty sure about that. Uh, so, so the question would be, how do I, and, and the caller raised this, how do I equate anemia possibly to Agent Orange? Um, the VA is obligated to look at every disability that's claimed as a result of Agent Orange. If it's presumptive, uh, presumptive list, meaning if you have a specific disability, let's say you have diabetes, and we know that's on the Agent Orange presumptive list, that's an automatic service connection. Let's say the veteran has anemia, and we know that is not on the list. The VA is obligated to take that claim on a case-by-case basis, and they have to develop that. They have to tell the veteran, send us medical evidence to show why the anemia is, in fact, related to Agent Orange. And sometimes what you'll find is, is, is doctors who are specialists in, in their area, such as anemia, and also has a working knowledge of the effects of Agent Orange, will be able to make that nexus or that connection to, to exposure to Agent Orange and provide a good medical theory or rationale as to why it's service-connected. So, sir, I mean, that's another way to get it service-connected. It, it may be tough because there's not a lot of doctors out there that are experienced enough with Agent Orange and anemia at the same time to make that connection. I like, I like the first suggestion, and maybe you've looked at that already, but... Again, if, if, if your father was, was diagnosed with anemia three years after active duty, like I said, he didn't just wake up one day with anemia. He had to have had some signs or symptomology prior to that. The question would be, would a doctor say that he had signs or symptomology within one year after getting off of active duty? If you can get a doctor to admit to that and provide a theory and rationale as to why he has signs or symptomology within a year, You'll get it service connected. Okay. Yeah, we we do have medical records. We sent for a C file 
to see if there's anything in his records in the military. He seems to remember a doctor talking to him in Vietnam uh, when he was wounded. He was in the hospital, and they talked to him about low blood cells and low blood count. And so we're request- we've sent off for that, but we also have his state trooper physical exam where they the doctor on the physical actually found it and annotated it as a condition that he had going in as a state trooper. And was and that, that within was just, a year? No, it was right at two and a half to three years later. Okay, okay. Well, I, we've only got, I mean, technically we've only got a two-year window to close, right? I, I think you had mentioned he was diagnosed three years after exit from the military service. So we need to put him within that one year. So if if if, if he's able to uh, present medical evidence or if you're able to present medical evidence to a specialist, including the claims file, which in this case, it was good to get the claims file. Uh, and, and once you get that, you present that to a specialist. And the question would be, based on your review of the VA claims file, including his service medical records, any post-active duty medical records, is it at least as likely as not that he suffered symptomology and signs or symptomology of anemia within one year after getting off of active duty? Maybe the doctor okay. can even say better than one year. He had signs or symptomology on active duty. But just saying it's one thing, but the doctor is going to you know, want to back it up with some medical theory. So I think you've got a, a, a good case there. Um, now, I don't know if you were listening to the show earlier. You talked about the VA claims file. Again, if, if you enlist the services of, of an accredited appeals agent or an attorney that has access to BBMS or a national service officer that has access to Veterans Benefits Management System, they can look at the VA claims file online. You don't have to wait uh, the 12 months or whatever it takes to get your claims file. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our thing that we was wanting to see is his, um, I guess, some of his lab work while he was still active duty before he got out. That's what we was wanting to see because it may in fact, showed that his blood count was off at that time, too. And yeah. he wasn't within the, the actual range. And that, that might be the needle in the haystack there. He, w- he wasn't a POW, was he? No, sir, he wasn't. Okay, well, well, that's a good if point. If he was, you'd, you'd, you'd win. Yeah, POWs, that, 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 that's presumptive for a prisoner of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. Um and, you know, the other thing, sir, is, is uh, I've won claims just based on, on testimonials, too. It, it's a little bit harder to win those types of claims, but let's say for whatever reason we just don't have the medical documentation or we don't have a doctor that's willing to go to bat for you. If he's got relatives, friends, coworkers, uh, whoever, who knew him on active duty or within one year after active duty could provide some very detailed report eyewitness accounts of what they saw in your father uh, that you might have a doctor, even the VA might give that much more probate of value to say these eyewitnesses, depending upon how many eyewitnesses you get, may be able to uh, show that he had anemic type symptoms. Then you're within that one year again. Uh, Testimonials from eyewitnesses are good especially if it supplements a medical report. But if you don't have a medical report and you've tried and all you've got is testimonials, uh, that, that that can be done too. 
Okay. I'll let him know that. You mentioned uh, he's rated for PTSD at 50%. Certainly I'd be looking at trying to upgrade that. Um, looks like he was denied for tinnitus and, and hearing loss. I think that's something that I would want to look at more closely. Yeah. Uh, do you There's, know? I just... I just looked at it today. There is, on everything his service officer submitted, he was denied except for the PTSD, and it was like six things, including mm-hmm. the scars. Uh, they said the scars had faded uh, too much. Um, uh, it was just a lot of stuff that uh, everything was denied. I looked at it today, and I couldn't believe that he hadn't talked to me before this. What was the memo with? He is an infantry. He is the first and ninth cab air mobile. Okay. You're kidding me. And they denied it tonight as zero mouth. Yes. Well, and what's what's interesting, John, though, is in and without looking at the the, the claim and, and compensation exam, but in a lot of these guys, I I always tell veterans if we're gonna file a claim for tinnitus, you have to be able to say to the best of your memory you've had it ever since active duty. Unfortunately, and I'm not saying your dad did this, but unfortunately, you'll get doctor, or excuse me, you get claimants that are going for those compensation exams, and they'll report, they'll ask, how, how long have you had the tinnitus? And they'll say, oh, it started about 10, 15 years ago. Well, that's going to get denied every time. So I would say this, if, and it really depends upon what, what your dad reported at the compensation exam, but 99 times out of 100, if you're infantry, Vietnam, combat, the whole thing, and you tell the doctor, uh, I have had tinnitus ever since leaving military service, you're going to get that rated. So the fact that it was denied, uh, I wonder if there isn't some other uh, factors involved in there. Or the VA just might have just screwed yeah. them over, too. I mean, that's that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which regional like office I would you with? Um, he was... He's over in East Texas, uh, as one that's over there. So I'm in Central Texas, and he's in East Texas. And I actually been traveling back and forth because of this condition now is deteriorating. And mm-hmm. I've been trying to help him out, and I just started pulling his files up, and I went out to eat benefits. And I didn't even know he filed for all that. Um, he was wounded in the lower leg, and he's had knee problems mm-hmm. ever since. And they denied that, and he just had knee replacement. He's got a Purple Heart. Yes. They must have rated him for the scars, then. Nope, they didn't rate him for no scars. On the scars, they put zero. Yeah, when they this is where a lot of a lot of people get tripped up. I think John, you know what I'm going to say, but a lot of times uh, the VA will rate veterans zero percent service connected, meaning. Is service connected, but not bad enough to warrant compensation. And most of the time, scars are going to get rated zero percent unless we can show it's tender to palpitation. Uh, so certainly, I think the scars would be. Oh, yep, good point. Or or size, thickness, off the skin. Uh, then you get even more detailed in the characteristics of uh, uh, of development that on a face, head, neck, or shoulders. If it's on an exposed surface, you have scars, even if they're not sore or tender, that carries compensable levels too. But it sounds like we're talking about scars uh, in in the lower extremities. So, um, but I think that's certainly something I'd want to look at as well as far as tenderness or the size of the scar, length, width, that type of thing. And I told him that. I told him I would, 
I would I would like to reopen this his whole thing with them with new evidence, and I think that's what we're going to do because I got twenty percent for my scars, um, mm-hmm. and and his How long just that time. How long has it been since you got decision? The decision? Oh, I'm going to say... Yes, it's well over a year. So I'd have to have new evidence on everything. um, Like I said, I I retired in 2008 and got back here, and I hadn't had a lot of time to run back and forth to East Texas. I just started doing that, and then I realized everything that he was denied on. So I'm in the process of gathering new evidence for everything because it's been over a year. It's been like five years. He just filed. I'm the one who got him to do initial file because he he said um, he volunteered to go and mm-hmm. serve his country, so he didn't want nothing back from them. And I explained to him that well, what he has is conditions that I've watched my whole life, and yeah. he needed to be compensated for them. I, 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 uh, well, John asked how his overall health is. His overall health, he is, um, it's hard for him to get around. He's, he's a big man. He's six foot three and he Mm -hmm. has to walk with the cane. So with his knees being bad now, having knee replacements and he's, it's hard for him to get around. He's pre-diabetic. He's fighting off that right now. Yes, sir. Yeah, should be rated. That's presumption of age in orange. It should be rated too. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell That's you what, it, it, and I'm listening to you what, what you're doing for your dad, and, and I I can't thank you enough for what you're doing for your dad. And, and as a veteran myself, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm more than happy to, and I'll share my my information before the end of the show. I'm more than happy to take a call from you, a personal call. You can call okay. anytime. Uh, we can discuss this case more in depth. And if if anything, uh, I'll give you advice. Uh, but okay. if it's something that you choose, you want me to uh, uh, take over, so to speak, and you know, I'm more than happy to do that too. But uh, that that's certainly got to be your dad's choice and your choice. But uh, yeah, feel free to give me a call at the, at the end of the show. I'll provide my uh, contact information. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, good. Hope we get him on the right track, buddy. Because I mean, you know, your yeah. your dad's a special veteran. You know, he's yeah, well, I, paid fast he was and, uh, very depressed. He's very depressed over the whole situation. And when I told him today that I didn't think we had a case uh, from everything I've been trying to research, uh, it even made him more depressed. So then I told him that I was going to get on the phone and talk to you guys this evening, and he's just waiting for me to call him back on that. Well, you ever heard him mention daisy cutters? Excuse me? You ever heard him mention the word daisy cutters? You ever heard him the word daisy cutters? A friend of mine was entering in Vietnam. They called in airstrikes with daisy cutters. And that was it. Was it that 20,000-pound bomb? Yeah, he he talked about... daisy cutters. Daisy cutters, yeah. Yeah. he didn't talk okay. much about Vietnam as I grew up. It wasn't until I got back mm-hmm. to my Iraq um, after my third tour. I come back, and I was disabled, and we sat and shared uh, conversations together because I'm 100% PTSD, and I have a lot of emotional things going on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he was able to relate with me and talk, and 
that's when he opened up about it, and I explained to him a lot of his symptoms that I have, or a lot of symptoms I have. I've watched him with his whole life. Yeah, so, you guys need to sit down together and give John a call. That's what you guys need to do. I think, uh, I, think I think he can I think open the, up. Yeah. I think the the goal certainly for your dad would be 100% PNT, and and how we get there, it well, an obvious one. If if he is if he's type two diabetic, and he's not rated for that, mm-hmm. uh, we need to get him rated for that. I assume he's on uh, uh, a medication like glucophage mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's on something. I'll have to look at his records and see exactly what he's taking for it. Yeah, that's a, that's a total VA. VA. That's he a VA diabetes. <laughs> type, yep, type, type 2 diabetes, automatic 20%. And then we get all the residuals that come along with diabetes. If we have neuropathy of the extremities, retinopathy of the eyes, nephropathy of the kidneys, I mean, diabetes can really get a hold of you. So that that's a route we'd want and to heart go. heart disease. Definitely. Any type of heart disease, any type of atherosclerosis, anything like that, they, they could be serviced. That, that's that's a presumptive. It's presumptive to Agent Orange. Um, it's also presumptive. Uh, well, I shouldn't say presumptive. For some, if he, for some reason he didn't serve in Vietnam, but he's service connected for diabetes, it could be secondary to the diabetes too. But that's a moot point because mm-hmm. he served in Vietnam. If he has a heart disease, that's another claim we could make. I know mm-hmm. I know we're throwing a lot of things out at you, woulda, coulda, mighta, shoulda, but I guess until I actually was able to get my hands on on, on the, the pertinent documents, I wouldn't be able to say for sure, but I would just tell your dad not to give up hope. You don't give up hope. The anemia issue, I'm still thinking that, you know, that's something we could do, but, um, yeah, give me a call. We'll talk about it. Okay, I will. I'll stay on the line and listen until I get the information. Okay, sounds good. John, why don't you go ahead and give out your contact information real quick. We've got about five minutes yeah. left anyway. Okay. My contact? Uh, full... No, it's okay, John. No, I... <laughs> yeah, mine. Uh, let me, yeah, stay on the line. Uh, area code 651. It's uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area code. Area code 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. If you want to catch me by email... You can go with benefits agent. That's benefits plural b e n e f i t s agent a g e n t at comcast dot net. That's at comcast dot net. That's it. That's good. John, are you traveling with you more, sir? I am. I am. Are you? <laughs> I, uh, where have you been lately? I've got a, uh, you know, it's slowed down a little bit. I'm, I'm, my fingers crossed. I've been winning these claims without having to do a whole lot of personal hearings, but sometimes it gets to the point where we have to do formal personal hearings, and and I have been known to fly all over the country. In fact, next month I'm making a trip to Waco, Waco, Texas. So. We'll we'll try to get this widow her her dependency indemnity compensation, which we feel like she deserves, and see how that shakes out. Good deal. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing fine. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. It's all about serving yeah. the vets. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, look what you've done already. I mean, you know, you're successful at what you do. I mean, I've seen you take a, a Chinese fire drill and turn it into a green check. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, each case is each case is like a snowflake. Um, every case is different. That's one of the things I always try to tell my clients is is try not to compare your case with someone else's because there's always going to be a twist or turn in that person's case that you don't have. So um, let me do the executive review of the file. Let me break it down and and uh, uh, one thing's for sure, I always do my best. Good deal. That's a good deal. You keep doing what you do. That's good. But, um, but uh, yeah, you know, John, this, that's about all I got. Um, you know, I'm out yeah. here helping veterans, and and uh, feel free to give me a call. It's a 651-303-3062, or email me at benefitsagent at comcast.net. If, if, if I don't answer right away, leave me a voicemail. I will get back with you. Okay. Well, that's a good deal. I mean, it's uh, that's that's what you do, and we appreciate you doing it. Uh, a lot of folks that had it appreciate you too. You know, you've helped a lot of folks out, and uh, we're just about out of time, anyways. Um, well, thanks for coming on, John. Yeah, we appreciate thank you. It. And, we'll do uh, this again next month. You let me know. Good luck, everyone. Take care. All right, I'll, I'll keep posting on Gerald. So, uh, with that, folks, this will be Jay Basher. Pinch it for Mr. Daryl Cook, and we'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bachelor Show. <laughs>